Good morning, Outlook family. It is really good uh, to see all of you this morning and to be here together to worship. What a beautiful time of worship we've already been led in. Amen. It's just really good to be together. And uh, unfortunately, I need to start our time with some more family news, uh, not dissimilar to the news I ended up sharing before the sermon last week. Uh, but two outlookers passed away just in these last few days. Uh, on Wednesday, Brian Willis uh, unexpectedly passed away. He was just 57 years old. A uh, great volunteer and our uh, team member in our children's ministry. Just a really Jesus-centered guy and a really wonderful brother. Um, and so please join me in praying for his wife, Jenny, and their whole family, uh, of course. And then uh, just last night, uh, one of our oldest outlookers, she just turned 98, Jean Morris, slipped from our grasp and into eternity. And so uh, be praying for the Morris family uh, as well. In fact, I'd love to just take a moment here before we jump into God's word and pray together. So let's do that. Lord, we know by your word that when we get news like this, uh, we meet it with grief and mourning without a doubt, but also with hope. Uh, hope that uh, is based on the fact that your word paints a picture for us, that earthly life is but a chapter of our whole life, and that eternal life is given through you, that our last breath on earth is followed by our first breath in heaven, in paradise, in your presence. Um, we thank you that these are true for Gene and for Brian. We thank you that we can grieve, but with hope. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bring comfort and peace and really supernatural strength to Jenny and, and the Willis family, to Jean's kids and grandkids and her whole family as they navigate these next few days and weeks and months. Uh, let them know how much they're loved by you first, but also by us. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. And we ask that you'd speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray again. Amen. Amen. Thanks a lot for praying with me. Right next to loving God, Jesus said the best thing we can do is love our neighbor. And through his life and teaching, uh, he uh, has showed us how to do exactly that. Highlighting the fact that one of the greatest things we can do for others in love is to introduce them to him and his love. But sharing our faith isn't easy for most of us, and it may even freak some of us out a little bit. Anyone feel that way? Right? So in this series, we've been exploring how to love our neighbors well and how to lovingly, respect, respectfully, pardon me, <clears throat> show them Jesus while we do. Because friends, if the events of the last couple of weeks in terms of losing some members of our Outlook family have taught us anything, uh, it's that life is short, this side of eternity. Short for us, short for the ones we love, and short for everyone we meet. Brutally, painfully, shockingly, short. No matter how long it lasts, even Gene's 98 years are a blip and won't ever feel like enough to do all that we feel like we're here to do. And in this series, we've been learning some things. We've been learning that maybe love is more essential than we realize it is in this recipe of what it means to introduce people to Jesus. 
Maybe we're more equipped than we thought we were when it comes to sharing our faith. And maybe people are more open than we felt they are. More open to hearing about God. We've been, in fact, seeing some surveys and some studies that seem to reveal this to be true. So here's one last chart, actually a couple of them. This chart uh, reveals that 77% of American adults still say, I believe in God or a higher power. Now, don't be put off by that higher power thing. I'm certainly not. Don't be, don't be bothered by that. That's actually a really solid start. If someone's even open, open to the idea of a higher power, that's cool. We just happen to know that highest power by name, right? So that's okay. That's okay. The fact that people are even open to that is encouraging. 74% of people say that they, they would indeed like to grow spiritually. And almost half of all respondents said, I'm more open to God today than I was before the pandemic. So those run counter, these findings run counter to the idea that perhaps we might feel like the world is becoming more and more closed off to talking about God or faith or our spirituality. And chart number two simply uh, demonstrates that this is really quite even, surprisingly even, across the generations. It's not that this is more, uh, a lot more true of one generation and then slides off in, uh, in, in tapers in other generations. And that what this shows us is something that we've been saying throughout this series. Spiritual hunger is a human condition that is always there. We might feel like the world's going up, down, and sideways, or that times have changed in ways we wonder if things will ever be quite the same. But one thing always remains the same. Human beings are made to long for God, and that we all have spiritual hunger. And we've just simply discovered that Jesus is the one who satisfies those hungers. So let's dive into this last message of our series and talk about what it means to share our faith with others using our words. Meeting real needs, being our genuine selves, inviting people to church and praying. We looked at all of these last week and they are powerful, accessible ways to make Jesus seen. But now today we're talking about making him heard. Now I'm a big believer in the reality that we operate out of our identity. So much of what we do flows from who we believe we are. Ever try to, you know, form a new habit, but you realize you actually haven't reformed your sense of self and the habit never takes, right? Maybe we've all experienced that. Uh, little, very little about our habits or any of our actions will end up changing until we change our beliefs about ourselves. We believe the, we are the kind of people who will do or be those things, then we begin to really find some traction when it comes to um, our actions, our behaviors. So when it comes to this idea, uh-oh, the preacher's talking about sharing our faith, and we think, that's not me, right? That's the first place we might go to. And thus, then we think, I can't do that. I'm not an evangelist, or I'm not a missionary. But what I want to do this morning is reframe that to remind you of who you are absolutely, who we all are as Jesus followers. And what I want to remind us of is that as Jesus followers, we are witnesses and worshipers. And that if we can begin to see that that's who we all are as Christians, as, as uh, disciples of Jesus, then sharing our faith through these identities becomes a whole other way of looking at it. 
So let's start with this idea that we are witnesses. Jesus sent and sends his disciples on a mission to share a message. We see this clearly. It's the message of God's grace made available to all humankind. It is the story of who Jesus is, what he has done, and how he keeps doing his work in our lives. Here are some examples of when Jesus says exactly this. After his resurrection, Jesus reminded his followers, this, was, this is what is written. The Messiah, that's, the, that's him, that's the Savior of the world, the Lord of the universe. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And then he says this, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Now, before his crucifixion, he said this to them. When the advocate, that's a description of the Holy Spirit, God's spirit living in us. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. You also must testify. That's what witnesses do. Witnesses testify. So in both of these passages, Jesus is making one thing clear. His disciples are to be empowered witnesses who testify. And he says as much again in Acts 1.8, a verse that Mike Wilkins brought to our attention a couple weeks ago. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. We've just seen this twice already. He says this. And you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So he's talking about us, any of us who've said yes to him and are uh, learning what it means to follow him. We've experienced something significant, to say the least, in Jesus Christ. And we say so. We bear witness. We testify. We just simply say what we've discovered to be true. So to be a witness, technically, is to give and not hold back testimony. That's what witnesses do. To, we affirm what we've experienced. We testify to what's true. We say what needs to be said. You've witnessed something. Your testimony is being asked for or is become relevant in a certain situation. And so you, as a witness, offer your testimony, your account of what you've experienced to be true. Disciples of Jesus, this is who we are. We are witnesses, and we declare and proclaim his message. We go and tell the story of Jesus because it's our story too. So your life can be a story that God tells to the world around you. And the story God tells through you and me has the power to then change the life stories of those around us. It's not a message we're meant to keep to ourselves. We've just seen the world is open to hearing it, and in fact, I think it's more accurate to say the world's dying to hear it, dying to hear it. You are witnesses of these things, Jesus says. You are to be witnesses who testify. Every disciple of Jesus has a transformation story to tell because every disciple of Jesus has undergone and is undergoing transformation. This Holy Spirit that Jesus has promised, we know comes to live in us. We celebrate that every time we see someone get baptized. We believe that when we say yes to Jesus, that his promise is true, that he comes to live in us by his spirit. 
And that spirit in us brings power, brings courage, brings the ability and the, the, the drive and the, the compulsion to want to love others and learn to love them well. And then part of that loving others, loving our neighbors is sharing Jesus with them. All of that happens in this transformation that God is doing in us. And even though we don't walk with or hear Jesus physically as the original disciples did, we are nonetheless witnesses of his ongoing work in us and in the world. Besides, if there's one thing we know is true in our world today is that we all love a good story, right? We all love a good story. And we especially love ones that are about transformation or about love. And the story of Jesus is absolutely about both. Amen? Those around us who haven't yet said yes to Jesus have questions and are looking for answers. What is life all about? How will I get through this difficulty? Will I ever know love? These are questions everyone asks, and we've simply discovered that Jesus answers these questions, and many others, countless others. Indeed, he is the answer. So when we share with others our story of living with and for Jesus, we are pointing to the hope and the love that we've realized people need most. Picture Jesus standing at one point as he does in his ministry and saying, come to me, all who are thirsty. Come to me, all who are hungry. Because he knows that we're all thirsty and we're all hungry. He is the living water. He is the bread of life. He is the one who can supply what we all need. That's the story we get to tell. We get to testify, too. Our new lives are a message for anyone to read. I quoted this passage last week, but it's just too good not to quote twice. It's really helpful for us as we consider this. It's Paul's words to the Corinthians in his second letter where he says to them, Your lives are Your very lives are a letter that anyone can read just by looking at you. Christ himself wrote it, not with ink, but with God's living spirit. There again, the Holy Spirit living in us, not chiseled into stone, but carved into human lives. What a beautiful picture that is, that us living our lives become a story that anyone can read, a letter that anyone can read, written from God on us for others to see. Our stories may not seem that dramatic or super interesting. In fact, right now, you might be like, when is this guy going to stop talking about the fact that I'm supposed to share my story with other people? There's not much to my story. I don't know what he's talking about. Maybe you're even then, even now, starting to count yourself out of that, thinking my story's not dramatic or super interesting. We may even wonder if ours is worth telling. But let me assure you this morning, thanks to Jesus, any of us have a story that we can share with others. Let me give you some handles, some tools to really think that through. Because what I'm about to describe, I believe, is true for any and all of us. You're going to find something here on this screen, or more more than one thing probably, that is true for you. And it is a story or a part of your story that you can share with others in a very natural way. First, there's things that we've endured and how we've survived them. There's not anyone in here who hasn't gone through something tough and may even be going through something tougher than you've ever gone through before. And if you haven't, you will. You're going to be okay. God will see you through. Maybe that's the one thing you needed to hear today is that God will see you through. All of us have parts of our stories in which we can say, I endured this, thanks to God, I survived it, here I am to tell the tale. 
That alone is a story worth telling and an encouragement that others may need to hear as they are looking for themselves. How am I going to get through this? Your endurance, thanks to the, to the Lord Jesus, your survival and even thriving is something that others need to hear and see. Or then there's what we've left behind or chosen to put behind us. There's not a person who doesn't have some stuff that they would do a lot better letting go of and putting behind them, right? Jesus helps us with exactly that. The stories we could tell today, if everyone, if we, we could take all day and listen to stories one by one of, of the things that you've come to discover you were hanging on to that you needed to let go or forgiveness you needed to grant or habits you needed to, you needed to release. You needed to put things in your rearview mirror. Wounds you needed healed from. Things you needed to leave or put behind. That's a powerful part of your story. Don't underestimate it. There are people who need to hear it. There's what we're learning and how we've changed. People love in our world today to share things they're learning. That's a good thing. We're learning things too. Jesus spent much of his earthly ministry teaching. He's never stopped. He's teaching us today. He teaches you. He teaches me. He is our rabbi, our teacher, even now. And so we are his students, his disciples. We're learning. We're changing. Talking about what we've learned and how we're changing is a vital part of our story. How we used to think and how we think now. Things we've come to realize, blind spots we've identified that we realized we, we were missing it or we were ignorant. We didn't know. Now we do. And it's changed the way we see the world, see ourselves, see others, see life. How we used to think and how we do now. Or maybe even just simply how we live with Jesus and how we love the life that he gives. What it's like to connect to our creator, what it's like to learn to pray. Most of life is just learning to pray, by the way, right? We're learning these things. We get to live with God in Christ. We get to love this life, all the good and all the hard stuff too that life contains because we're with him in it. And that makes all the difference. All of this is a story worth telling. And here's the kicker. You are just the person to tell it. In fact, you're the only person to tell it in the end. It's your story. You get to share it with others in natural ways as you get to know them and are your friends with them, your neighbors with them, your coworkers with them. Just realize that you've got a story full of gold, ready to mine and share with others. Now, does this take courage? You bet it does. Am I pretending it's easy? I don't want to. Does God got you in all this? He absolutely does. Here's a couple of reminders of that. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said to his disciples, don't worry about how to respond or what you're going to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. But he will give you the words. The words. Paul said to young Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Those are good words for us today. I got an email a few weeks ago from an outlooker. Uh, the email talks about a death in the family. This was a few weeks ago. These are not, this is not related to what we've just experienced in the last week or so here among our church family. But I got this email. It says, hey, Rob, this is Rick Davis. 
wanted to share with you what happened this week. I got permission from Rick to share this. He talks about the fact that uh, he says, my brother David has become really sick in the last few months and has been in the hospital most of that time. He just had surgery and it did not go well. He never regained consciousness and he passed at about four this morning. He's sending me this email that very day. And then he says this, because of my coming back to the Lord and all of you at my new church home, I had the courage to talk to him about the Lord. And he accepted Christ about two weeks ago. I'm sad, but feel great that he's going to be with the Lord. And I feel that my church gave me that courage. I appreciate you all so much. What a beautiful truth that is, that he, as soon as we draw near to God, God begins to give us the courage we need to love others, including all the, take the ball all the way to the end zone, loving them all the way to sharing him with them. The highest, greatest love that we could share, right? This email, the events of this past week for our own church family remind us life is fragile and brief and we all need not just earthly life. It falls short and it is short. We need eternal life. All of us do. Every human does. Jesus is that way. Let's think about this from another angle for just a quick second. If something is important to us, a big vacation, a school project, a promotion at work, then we'll do whatever we need to do to prepare for that thing. That's just natural for all of us in whatever way is needed. So I would challenge us to begin to look at this idea of sharing our faith with others as an important project worth preparing for. Something that could happen, a door that could open, a conversation that could start, that we will either enter into that conversation and that door of opportunity will open and we will find ourselves either prepared or unprepared. But let's instead resolve to be the first, to be prepared. When it comes to sharing Jesus with others, well, we can readily do as we're instructed in 1 Peter chapter 3, where Peter writes, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. In other words, we've taken some time to think about our story. We've, we've gone through maybe that, that list from earlier and realized I do have some things that I could share. If someone's going through something, I might be able to help them and to simply witness, to testify to the goodness, the strength, the wisdom, the wonder of God. Now, this verse, of course, presumes we're hopeful people, right? Not the office grouch, right? That we have hope, that we do, we are among our coworkers, our neighbors, our family, our friends. We are the people who see things differently, who see things from a different perspective, an eternal one. We do see things with some hope and some vision, some sense of God's presence. In fact, Peter is really cluing us in on a valuable insight. People are most intrigued not by our Bible knowledge or even our so-called attempted perfect behavior, but by the hope that our faith produces. Because let's face it, the world needs more hope. The vision, the joy, the trust that comes with it is in short supply today. Amen? One way or another, people will say to us, where does your hope come from? And we can reply, I'm glad you asked. Amen? 
So we are witnesses. We get to simply tell the truth about what we, we've experienced. We don't have to overthink it, and it's certainly not about uh, our vast Bible knowledge. We just get to be a witness. But we also, and this I hope is a paradigm kind of changing way to think about sharing our faith, we're also worshipers. We're people who, who point to God, who, who involve God in our lives. In a very real way, uh, the whole problem our world has is a worship problem. In Romans chapter one, it says that for all of us who, before we said yes to Jesus and for a world live, trying to live without God, Romans one says they swapped God's truth for a lie and worshiped and served what had been created instead of the creator God. That's what's happening in our world and it's always been ha happening. Humans will worship someone or something and it's either going to be God or it's going to be stuff and other people and all kinds of other things like that. But instead, we should worship creator God who should be forever praised. See, we are people who point to Jesus and say just how real and significant he is. We're also people who praise him and declare how good he is. We get God involved in the situation. We see things differently from his perspective. Luke chapter 18, there's this great little moment where Jesus heals a guy who's blind. And it says instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus, praising God and all who saw it, praise God too. That when God's doing something in our lives and then we begin praising God, others begin to realize there's a reason to praise God. That praising God is an option. That God is actually real and involved and here and present. You seem to understand that. Now you've got my attention. I'm intrigued. I want to learn more about what it means to give God praise or glory or that God's involved in your life. I mean, God, God is helping you through something. You're, you seem to be giving him praise even though you're going through this difficulty. That's, that's weird. I want to know more about that, right? We give God credit. We give God glory. We bring God in. We're happy to worship him. Worshiping him, adoring him is our first instinct. See, we're not warriors from a worldly perspective, but our praise is indeed a force. Do you ever sense that? Do you sense it when we come together on Sunday morning, when we get to sing uh, and really belt out the beautiful, powerful songs, such as the ones we got to do this morning? When we hear ourselves and our brothers and sisters joining us, declaring the greatness of God and how relentless his love is and how glorious his purpose is for our lives and how good he is to us. When we find ourselves declaring that, whether we're congregated on a Sunday morning or we're doing that in our own, uh, our own personal time with God, our worship is indeed a force. It presses against the darkness and the depression and the depth of evil in this world and it does something in in and in and for us, our adoration of God displaces despair. It redirects attention, not only ours, but those around us to where it should be. The greatness of God. I want to thank God for simply saying that is a great way to point people to him. Consider these great words from First Chronicles 16. Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. Sing to him. Yes, sing his praises. Tell everyone about his wonderful deeds. You see the, the cadence here. It's like we're singing about and to God, and yet we're also telling in the process, telling everyone else about how great he is. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. 
Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. This is who we are. Remember, it's about who we are. When we see ourselves, we're the ones on the planet who get to worship God. And in that worship, we invite others to join us in that worship because we're seeing God. We see him everywhere. We see him in everything. We see him when things go well and we see him when they're not going so well because we know he's with us. See, mere believers, this is the difference between being a mere believer that just agrees to a creed and someone who has said yes to Jesus and really wants to live a life as his disciple, devoted to him, submerged in his reality. Mere believers will let others merely believe whatever they like. I'm a mere believer, you're a mere believer of your thing, that's all good. But disciples get past the surface of mere belief. We believe there's this message to deliver, this greater truth. In fact, it's reality. That we live in a God-bathed world in which God is good and loves and and has purpose for every person and, and can look right down into the soul of every human being. And he does so with nothing but perfect love and wants nothing more than to redeem, forgive, and receive every single person to say yes to him, and wants that embrace to be offered and and given and shared. That's the message that we get to deliver. When someone's hurting or confused, we know we have the answer. And so I wanna wrap up our time with a, a reading of scripture that I think so beautifully captures what we're trying to say in this moment. In fact, Bev read a part of it earlier. That wasn't planned. That just happened to be, uh, they didn't know I was going to end with this passage. But I want us to, and the words won't be on the screen. I want us to hear these words from Romans chapter 8. In light of the things that we've been talking about, of being a witness, of being a worshiper, in light of the things even we're facing as a church as we were saying goodbye to three outlookers in one week. And the grief that that does, that that brings to us, the way that touches us. I want us to hear these words. I I want you to let them land on you and I want you to picture yourself saying them. Say them to yourself and in your own words, live a life that says them to everyone around you in your own way and in your own words. Let these pass, let this passage sing to you, land on you, speak to you. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Say those last two words with me. No one. Who is the one who condemns? Oh, you might have a long list and you might be at the head of that list. Who condemns me? Well, I'm pretty good at it, right? And I got a whole list of other people who I kind of feel like condemn me. But in Christ Jesus, the answer to the question, who is the one who condemns? The answer, no one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death 
nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the truth to which we witness, and this is the great God we worship. Amen? This is what it means to share our story. And this is our real storytelling power. A genuinely changed and changing life. An actual nearness to God. The true power of our story is that it's true. We're living it and can't deny it. Now this is who we've always been as a people. As Christians, certainly as a church. And I want to transition now from our sermon, technically, to our uh, wrap-up of our legacy um, chats that we've been having at the end of the services for the last few weeks. Everything we've just talked about, everything, th this idea of sharing our faith, of doing what it, whatever it takes to be a light in our world, this is absolutely, clearly, as you look at our church's story, I've always been a part of who we are, and we only want it to be as true or more true today than ever before. So as we're going to close our time, before we get to sing and give God some more praise, we're going to honor him through our giving, this special opportunity that we've been talking about as a congregation for the last few weeks. Today, is, as Justin said at the beginning of the service, is Commitment Sunday. We're making our over and above giving commitments to the Legacy Initiative through these commitment cards. You probably have yours. This is Tamara's and mine. There's cards on the chairs. You can pick one up. Baskets are going to come by and you can place your card in them. Envelopes have been provided so you can slip your card in one of those if you'd like, if that would be preferable for you. And as you do so, as you prepare your card and baskets will come in a second. As you do so, let me just say a few words about what's happening here as we wrap up this time. In making these commitments, you and I are saying yes to what God has been doing for generations through our church. So many stories that we've gotten to hear. And really, just the tip of all the stories that are out there, uh, that, have, that the way God has used this church, generation after generation, in this community for over 150 years, since 1866. When you begin to think of each generation and the sacrifices that they made, when you think that a church, a congregation of people got together, think about life in 1866 and then think, if, if I could, we could go back in time and let those folks know, hey, it worked, <laughs> it stuck, we're still here. The year is 2024 and we're still a congregation and we've never stopped being a congregation this whole time, generation after generation. When you think about that, and the rich legacy that we've inherited, not just of length, but of kind. The flexibility that each, all these generations have shown, the sense of mission, their, their willingness to sacrifice and be generous and also flex and do whatever they've got to do uh, to move from one place to another to another, and, and all in the name of staying relevant and pertinent and bright to the community around them and to each upcoming generation. What a legacy that is. And that's what we're getting to participate in when we pledge ourselves to this latest campaign. There's always something next. They took great steps of faith, and now we're taking one, just our latest, our current goal of moving 
our mortgage towards zero. Last Sunday, I finished visiting all the small groups. We, we have 23 groups at the moment. And as I crossed the finish line and was sitting in the living room of group 23, uh, the, the lady whose house we were at, a dear sister, she turned to me after I'd gotten done talking about legacy and the details and just answering everyone's questions. And she asked me a question. She said, would you want to be a part of a church that wasn't consistently doing giving initiatives like this? And I just thought to myself, I wish I had you at meeting number one and I could just bring you with me wherever, wherever I'd gone. What a great question that is, right? And I understand and everyone in the room understood exactly what she was saying. That is, I want to be a part of a church that's always got their, their feet grounded in the, in the movement of God and their eyes on what the Lord has next for them. And that's going to require discomfort and sacrifice and stretching. And she loved it. And that's exactly what she thought was evidence of, of life and growth and vitality. And I couldn't agree more because that's what I've always found in my 20 years so far here that this congregation has been about. This was true of this congregation before I got here. I knew it from day one when I arrived and I've only seen it uh, become more and more true. The generous, enthusiastic, vital spirit of this congregation, I have to imagine, is a delight to the Lord and it's certainly a joy to pastor. So thank you for your participation in this. Thank you for your, just your joy and your enthusiastic support. And let's pray now for great things as we have uh, made these commitments. Let's give them to the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we're grateful that we get to be a part of something that you're doing. It's so clear to us as we think about our church's story that this is nothing new. This is so absolutely a part of what it means to be, a, be your people, to, to worship you, to declare you first in our lives, is to participate, even in taking what might seem like very mundane, earthly, material things like dollars and pledging them to something eternal and spiritual like this. It's a conversion that's beautiful to watch because our generosity with these material things will reap amazing spiritual benefits. We've, we've certainly reaped that from the generations past, God, thank you for the privilege of being a part of it now. We pray your blessing on all these commitments, both the ones that have come in today and the ones that will come in in the days ahead. We ask God that each one will be uh, just evidence of our joy in you as an act of worship to you and devotion to your people. We thank you for all of this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.